This is Daniel Jose Older, and you are listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. there's a there's a kind of interesting thing about coming back to making children's content in one's middle age because it's almost like a an invitation to remember yourself that you're not done learning you know that you have to keep learning and you have to keep taking risks and you have to keep insisting on your development even as you create the conditions for children to do that here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. This is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at the GBB Podcast, as well as the GBBpodcast.com and everywhere you get your podcast from. That's where you find us, right there on the interweb. <laughs> on the interweb. You can also uh, send Carrier Pigeon. That usually works. It's been known to work. Do they cross the border okay? I mean, is, is, I do, they, so. do they get stopped for papers or anything? You may, you may need like one of the owls from Harry Potter for that to work, but <laughs> they they get up to uh, Canada okay, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Exactly. Right. Carrier pigeons just get shot down. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Usually, they usually don't make it past uh, customs. Oh, I see. Okay. The the U.S. customs. Of course. <laughs> I had no doubt what you were saying. This is all fact, of course. <laughs> So we are joined this week again by Sherry. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome again. Again. <laughs> again. We're joined by her again. We uh, love having you. I was just I, like- I was just saying offline and I feel like I should share this with everybody who listens to. Um, no offense to Justin. Justin, just plug your ears. Uh, okay. Sh- Sherry is the best co host ever. Um, because if uh, if I say, hey, you want to get in on this uh, this interview we're having with uh, author X? And she goes, uh, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> and in the space of like three or four days, she'll have read that person's like entire oeuvre. Like everything that person has ever written. Like novels, <laughs> short stories, comics, like everything. She'll have just burned through it all. And like here I am, like uh, I read the back cover. Like so no. <laughs> she's well, watched her A and E biography. <laughs> right, you write for Book Riot. You learn to read fast. I that's, guess that's true. I I do not read fast. I am a slow reader. I have a lot of books and I like to read, but it just takes me forever to read. It's also <laughs> the curse of of like. See, you have the kind of job where. You have a lot of not not free time, but you have a lot of time that like downtime where you can read, right? Some days I do. Yeah. yeah. So I have the kind of job where I read, like that's my job. And so like when like <laughs> the end of the day when I get to be like, okay, I'm done working for today, like I kind of just want to watch TV or something or just like veg out. Like I don't want to like, oh, now I'm gonna go read some more um, <laughs> because like my brain and my eyes are fried at that point, um, and that's a terrible excuse, I know, but. It is what it is. I'm sorry. I have, in fact, read two books and caught up on four comics since then. Yeah, and that was like two days ago. So, like, I don't know where you find this time. Like, super, oh you're like a word. superhuman reader. They were really good books. Well, <laughs> in all of this to say, this week you required no reading. It did not. <laughs> Although there, there is adjacent reading should one choose to do it. Because the never-ending story was a book before. It was that is true. Book. Have you read it? Me? Yeah. 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 No. I, I have one of the original of copies course, Jamie, printed in red question. and green I ink. I know it's a stupid question. I have the book. It's sitting on my shelf. It's like one of those like I will get to that someday because I really want to read it, but I haven't yet. Yep, I have a first edition. Wow. Is it, wow. Is, it, is it is it magical? Like if you go up to the attic and lie down and read it, like um, the kid did in the movie, like will you get? Will you be able to like talk to to Artax? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't read this copy. <sighs> oh, well, you'll have to try it out. Yeah. Put it on film. Let us know. You got to open up the window and like scream to the thunderstorm like that kid did. 
<laughs> well, it is in the red and green ink, so. Perfect. Yeah. Anyway, uh, for anybody <laughs> who hasn't like looked at the title of this episode, you might be kind of confused what we're talking about. Um, we, we talked to Tammy Stronach this week, who um, once upon a time played the childlike empress in The NeverEnding Story. Um, so we are uh, talking, referencing right now the re- never-ending story. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. You, uh, you love it. Um, let There's me a ask, fuzzy dragon. Let me ask you oh, the luck dragon. I love the it. fuzzy luck dragon. Oh my god, he's so cute. Um, let me ask you guys a question: Have you gone back to watch that movie as adults? No. Yes. Okay. The hesitation in your not. voice answered the question that I was about to ask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I so let me put it this way: before I had kids, so this was a good decade ago, um, or maybe it was like right after my first was born. Um, my, I made my wife sit down and watch it, and she had never seen it. Obviously, like she, this was not part of her childhood, um, and I had not seen it in years before that time. So I was like, oh my god, this movie's so great! We're gonna love it. It's like oh, there's this really emotional part when something happens to his horse. And, oh, this is just amazing. And we sit down to watch it, and I gotta say, like, 20 minutes into it, I look over, and she just got this look on her face, like, she's trying to humor me, like, she's trying to, like, (laughs) be, like, not break down and be like, what are you making me watch? But even I was like, this this, this is not as good as I remember it. (laughs) (laughs) This was good when I was a kid, I swear. I swear to God, this movie was amazing when I was, like, eight years old. Um, I mean, I still. And it has a kind of it has a kind of creepy edge when you watch it as an adult. Oh yeah, for kinda sure. Kind of like Smurfs. <laughs> for sure. I mean, I love it. I still love it. I still have a very soft spot for it. Um, if it's not part of your childhood, it does not hold up. Unfortunately, I think. We haven't watched <laughs> it with the kids yet because we're afraid it will freak them out a little oh, bit. Oh, it's it's freaky. But, you know, nostalgia reigns. But nostalgia reigns. So, yeah. I'm not putting the movie down. I love the movie. Um, It's just, it's got to have been part of of your childhood. Um, I I mean, it's got to be better than, like, the three ninjas, though, right? I wouldn't know. I've never seen the three ninjas. Oh, my. That was your childhood, my friend. We're going to have to talk about that later. We're going to talk about that later. <laughs> is the, are the three ninjas big up in Canada? Uh, yeah, they were. They were. I don't. I thought it was an American movie. Maybe it isn't. <laughs> no, I think it is. We just like to make fun of you every chance we can. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, Sherry, we talked to Tammy, and we didn't just talk about this one movie she was in like 35 years ago because that would have and, been weird. And yeah, in fact, we didn't. I mean, it's not that we didn't talk about it at all, but we talked a lot more about. Her various projects since then. Yeah. She's a dancer. She's a writer. Uh, she has what did they call paper canoes? A boutique, oh, boutique oh, oh, family yeah. it was, entertainment. It was a um, yeah. Something. It was something something crazy. It was a boutique family entertainment content producer. Yes. Oh. Yeah. But it's they do all this neat stuff um, like Aesop's Fables with sock puppets, and then they. It's a whole interactive day. You know, they put on the performance and then the kids make puppets and play with the puppets and learn to make stories that way. And they did a musical, right? And she said they're... So Beanstalk Jack, Beanstalk Jack is the new CD that they have out or music. I don't know if you don't buy it on CD. I don't know what things are called anymore. They're the <laughs> album. Um, I say I feel like we've gone back to album, even though it yeah. implies something different than it used to. Yeah, so it's the newest album, um, but it is. It's sort of like a uh, uh, not a rock opera because it's not rock, but it's sort of like it's like a, uh, it's a a sequence of songs all telling one story. So I guess that would be an opera, but it's, it's kind of like a newer version of Peter and the Wolf. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Okay, I'll buy that. But it's very good. I mean, so, and I've said this before, I think, on the show, like, I've never really been into quote, quote unquote kids music. You know, I think a lot of it is just dumbed down or it's just saccharine mm-hmm. and it's just, oh, it's it's hard to listen to. Um, but there is some that is, when it doesn't pander to the little kids or when you're actually singing to the adults and the kids just happen to be grooving to it, 
um, I think that is when it works. And uh, Beanstalk Jack works. It's just, it's fun. It's good to listen to. The kids like it. The adults like it. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. What really intrigued me about our conversation, though, is that she is the daughter of two archaeologists. Mm-hmm. And so she grew up on digs you know like she was just like this little kid running around digs and you know getting her hands dirty and and literally like digging through and looking for bones and art and shards and and relics and stuff and she had some really cool stories about that yeah and her family was living in persia when she was born and Mm -hmm. got tossed out and (laughs) yeah she had quite quite the story and she speaks what like four or five languages Uh uh-huh Yep. So she's not just the childlike empress, you're saying. No, she's, she's so much more. That was a, you know, it was really interesting to talk to her about that and it being something she did once and had a great time right. doing and for, you know, various reasons um didn't want to do again. Yeah. And it's not that she didn't have a it wasn't like she had this terrible experience. Like she she loved it and she said, you know, if you want your kids to get into the industry or to do you know, pursue artistic pursuits like by all means encourage them and let them do it she wasn't dismissive of, of that experience and she wasn't saying no do not let your kids do that because it was awful for me and I hated it she just said you know I liked it I had a lot of fun but my parents thought that that wasn't really the road that they wanted for me and mm-hmm. you know but I still was able to pursue an artistic life in a different way and I had a great experience and I've had other great experiences and it's just, that's not the road that I ultimately took, but you know, it's part of who I am. And I just, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a side to that story of being a, um, a young actor that you don't often hear. Usually you hear like the horror stories or Mm -hmm. you hear about the people who stayed in it their entire life, you know, and just became part of the system. You don't hear about the people who were just in it for a little while then walked away, but still had fond memories of it. She didn't, unlike a lot of of people who acted as children, she didn't disavow it either. She's still right. really proud of it. Um, and she still enjoys being part of it. And so, you know, it's not that she, she regrets it or, you know, tried to say, oh, I wish I had never done that. Yeah. Um, she still really embraces it. It's just not something that she did again. Yeah, and it's like, you know, I think the tendency is to be like, that was one movie I did 35 years ago. Please, people, give it a rest. You know, like, you're right. right. She embraces it. Like, her Twitter handle is never-ending Tammy. So it's like, that is part of who she is, and she's welcomed that. Wow. So on that note, we are going to go play the interview for you. We really hope that you enjoy. Tammy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. It's just a pleasure to have you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, so, in reading up on you, you had a pretty interesting childhood. Um, born, I think, in Iran, in, or lived there at least when you were very young, and then you moved to Israel. Um, how old were you when you made the, that move? So, I left Iran when I was six, oh, wow. and then we went to uh, Israel for a year, and then we went to England, and then we came to the United States uh, when I was eight. So, I, I mean, six through eight is old enough to have memories. So, I mean, oh, do, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that did you find that disruptive or did you find that like that was an exciting adventure for you? Well, it's funny, you know, I think kids tend to just accept reality as it, they're given it, right? So yeah. it never occurred to me that other people don't change schools every year and <laughs> learn a new language. I was just like, that's what you do, right? Like, because... Yeah. Persian was my mother tongue. I spoke Farsi and then English at home. And then we went to Israel and I learned Hebrew. And then we went to England. And then after we came to America, I was like, oh, I got ha- I must get an American accent. This is <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I think just for me that there was a lot. And then we moved from Tucson to Berkeley. So, yeah, I would say the first 10 years of my life, I was sort of pretty used to to moving a lot and then even when we lived in Iran we would go on excavations a lot so we would pack up the Land Rover and go live in a tent in the desert for a couple months and then come back to the British Institute so I think that was just I thought that was normal (laughs) that's a great normal to have quite honestly (laughs) (laughs) um 
Yeah, so it's funny, you know, um, it's, but I think that kids just accept whatever is, is, is the reality that they're told is, is the reality that, that they can have. And I think that's what's so powerful in terms of being storytellers and artists is that especially making stories for kids, again, the stories we tell kids are really formative. They shape their sense of what's possible, what realities could be emergent. And, you know, um, and it's this amazing time where you really uh, kind of taking in so much information and laying the foundation for what you think is, is normal. And so storytellers have a lot of power in laying down, um, you know, normal as being something full of possibilities rather than not. Right. So it's funny that you say that because my son is eight and, you know, he's very well aware of reality. But if you ask him what he wants to be when he grows up, he'll still tell you he wants to be a Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) Very seriously. So, (laughs) you know, in this world right now, that's totally possible. Like, that's a thing. That's a thing he could do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think he should keep that as long as he can. Like, so sad, you know. I think I'll juggle three different jobs, Mom, and, you know... Um, oh, God. Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah. I, I, wanna, I think I'll do... <laughs> I want to struggle for as long as possible, just, you know, yeah. make ends meet every week. <laughs> I'll do this for fulfillment yeah. 16 hours a week. My fallback's going to be this. <laughs> it's, keep, it, it, keep the Jedi thing going as long as you can. Uh, well, Jamie Jamie knows my kids a little bit. My daughter said she wanted to be an, what did she say? An underwater marine biologist veterinarian. Which is yeah. a, actually a thing. She just got the, she's got the terminology wrong, but that's actually a thing she could do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Tammy, how many languages do you speak? We were curious. Well, sadly, I don't speak Farsi anymore, which is crazy because um, how does the brain do that? How does that how is that your first language and then you lose it all? But when when we left, we didn't continue speaking it in the home and I didn't have any um, opportunity to practice it. My sister still speaks it because she left when, when she was 12. So I just speak English, Hebrew and French. Just <laughs> um, from, from school, but I lost my Farsi, which I'm really sad about. That's really sad that I lost it. And then I did this whole dance piece listening to songs and tapes from my parents' dig sites. And I worked in the studio with those tapes for six months, just hoping that some weird fissure would open up in my brain and all my Farsi would pour back, but it didn't. <laughs> so uh- do you dream it? Do you dream in English or do you dream in Hebrew? I mean, I, I know that's I a weird dream. Question, but. No, I know, but I, I feel like when I get my my snippets of my dreams, it comes back in images. So it's not really language based. It's it's image based. Um, I think you know. I would say my English is at this point my by far <laughs> better. Yeah, I mean, I'm you know, realistically, I'm planted here. <laughs> So you've mentioned, uh, we, we should explain when you keep saying like you were on these digs, your parents were archaeologists. Um, so now I, when I was in school, I was an anthropology major with an archaeology minor. I was on a few digs. Oh, I know, cool. I, I kind of know what that life is like. I know what being <laughs> on a dig is like. But as a kid, like, was was that the grand adventure? Like, was that like having, I mean... It was before no. it was be, it was before Indiana Jones, but it was like was that like having Indiana Jones as your dad? No, I thought my parents were crazy. Yeah, we they were like there'd be like a toothbrush, and they'd be like spending six hours gently <laughs> scraping tiny pieces of dirt off of a pottery shard, and then after six hours, everyone would ooh and ah and this little broken piece of pottery. And I was just you like, were like, come on, are nuts! Like I don't know what is going on. I'm gonna go play with the goats. Way more interesting. <laughs> That's why I changed my major from archaeology to theology. <laughs> So, I mean, now I have like a real appreciation for what they did. And I I think that um, it's just so beautiful. My parents are so, you know, uh, 
invested in understanding history. And I think there's also a real imaginative component to archaeology. You're kind of given these clues and you have to fill in the gaps. And I I see how creative that is in a way. But as a kid, I was just like, what are we, what are these people doing? (laughs) This crew of 150 people like scraping away. Oh yeah, I that it's that's one of the funny things you 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 find all these little pottery shards or these little fragments of something, and then you have to like, you you place so much importance on these little pieces of trash. Literally, is what they were, and you have to piece them together, and you're like, okay, where does this fit into the grand scheme? And like, what is this one little piece? What could it tell us? And you you spend so much energy on this little piece of trash. It's on it's for for somebody who doesn't do that or who has never studied that or or doesn't get it, you you yeah. just don't get it. My mom was the, the the sort of maverick at putting things together. She was the piece it together. So everyone would find it and then it would all be on these piles. And then she would um, piece it together. These are very big pots. And there's a video of me inside. She put me inside with like my bottle drinking my milk, like this giant reconstructed pot from thousands <laughs> of years ago. I was like, oh my God, like I'm, I could have broken that in a second. <laughs> so uh, she's like, what do I do with my child? I'll just stick her in one of these reconstructed pots for a while. <laughs> That's safe. <laughs> they, fil- they filmed me. Well, I think they took me out. It yeah. was more for the sort of um, cinematic joke of it all. But so it's very funny. Um, but I think also, you know, as an adult looking back now, for me, there's so much metaphor in that. This this ability to take something broken and forgotten and find it and reconstruct it and make it whole and and apply meaning to it in a new context. Like all of that seems really fruitful. But but yes, you know, my, my child my child mind and my adult self yeah. have a slightly different view of those days. Do you think you know, you, you mentioned how, you know, the way that children see the world when they're young or the way that they experience it, that sort of, sort of shapes their worldview. And it, it shapes how they not only see things, but also consume things later in life. So, I mean, did your childhood, moving around every year, changing schools, having different languages, different cultures, do you think that that shaped and or continues to shape the way that you choose to work and the stories that you're telling? Absolutely. No, absolutely. I think um, I grew up uh, having to um, make sense of very disparate things. And I had a, 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 a Jewish mother, a Christian father and a Muslim nanny. And I grew up with three different religions, uh, all kind of, you know, in conversation with each other, three different languages, you know, you switch to Hebrew with your mom, English with your dad, you speak Persian to your nanny, (laughs) sort of, uh, when we would eat a meal, it would be like Persian food with hummus and like some, you know, peas that my dad insisted on. (laughs) So there was a constant collision of things that the outside world told me don't fit together uh, and of course, in my life, they fit together perfectly. And um, and so I am really attracted to the seams between things and uh, interdisciplinary art and interdisciplinary subjects and looking for the ways that uh, things that have been put in different boxes um, could potentially erase those seams and let them bleed together and see what new thing could emerge from that. Um, so, you know, I was a dancer for many years, but I, I put so much, many acting vignettes in my dances and, um, I just on an artistic level, I've been really interested in interdisciplinary work. And, um, and then the, the stories that, um, I tell and, specifically now with Paper Canoe, the stories for family audiences. I mean, I do think there's a kind of of through line, um, which I don't know that that has so much to do with with where I was raised or how I was raised, but I do think it has a little bit to do with uh, being a, a little girl and looking for stories where I could see myself uh, as a as a as a hero. And there weren't that many when I was little, like there were some. And of course, being part of the never ending story was this incredibly exciting thing. It was like, wow, a little girl gets to be, uh, um, an important 
character and she's strong not because she can karate chop everyone around her but because she has wisdom and she has this old old ancient soul that understands patience and compassion and so you know it's so exciting to be a little girl and be like oh you know I can access compassion that's not outside of the scope of possibilities for me like that's a superpower I can have you know like I can access um, you know, imagination and patience. Like, so, so I think, you know, having access to stories where you can see yourself in those characters and you can see the, the strengths and the, that those characters have in yourself is something that is really useful to give children. So I would say that in, you know, paper canoe stories, I've been really interested in, uh, creating stories where the, the hero is a little bit of an unlikely hero and um, maybe the the strengths that they have to solve the problem are um, are are in my opinion strengths but they aren't necessarily the most uh, commonly associated um, adjectives that you might put with with strength you know right, right, right. and so kind of taking that notion and spinning it on its head and um, and and creating you know, heroes that uh that i think uh little children who 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 aren't the biggest and the toughest like could could see themselves in and i think that's also in the neverending story i mean bastion is sort of a dreamer and he's he's gets bullied a lot and um and so yeah i mean i, I think that that i'm i'm attracted to those stories where um an unlikely hero saves the day through unlikely means yeah well, let's talk a little bit about Paper Canoe, since you brought it up. Um, sure. It's described as, quote-unquote, a boutique family entertainment content producer. What does that mean? <laughs> so, it just means that we don't want to limit ourselves to any genre. Uh, I was making uh, dances, and I was choreographing, and also doing theater uh, in the downtown New York scene for the last 20 years. And so, the world that I know best is live theater. Mm-hmm. And so when we started Paper Canoe with this notion of making stories for family audiences, we started with plays. It just was the landscape we knew. We, we knew the theaters. We knew the people. We knew the set designers. Um, but as Paper Canoe has been sort of um, floating along. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you um, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, We've started to become really interested in other mediums, and um, we made an album right now that uh, we're we're working hard on, Beanstalk Jack, which is taking the classic story of Jack and the Beanstalk and reimagining it uh, for family audiences today. And um, we see that uh, we'd love to make uh, a series of animated videos uh, to to tell the story is told kind of like this shows my age, but back in my day, records had like an A side and a B side and you'd listen to the whole thing. You didn't like select a song and jump all around. So this is exactly that. It's sort of like a throwback to the way we listen to music. And, um, and so we tell the whole story, you know, through a sequence of 16 songs and, um, and so we'd love to animate that. And so we're sort of moving into digital content, into videos. We still have live shows too, uh, but we're thinking about taking Light, which was a, a, a play we did, which is a, a sci-fi dystopian play, and maybe moving that into either a, uh, a podcast series or um, some kind of animated uh, short film. So. When we say we're a boutique-style family entertainment company, it just means we're invested in telling stories that the whole family can look at together, where if you're two or 102, mm-hmm. everyone's going to enjoy it, and parents aren't going to pull out their cell phones and start doing their emails while the thing is happening. Um, I think for me, as a, as a parent, um, there's, there's a way to consume entertainment that's really passive where it's like an electronic babysitter and you're sort of hoping that your kid won't bother you so you can get something done. And then there's other kinds of entertainment where, um, when it's over, you can talk and you can ask each other questions and there was a shared experience. You gathered together and you had a shared experience and then you can bring that into your daily life and it keeps inspiring your children's imagination and then those are the kinds of things that we want to make we want to make things that um that that aren't about turning the brain off but are about you know turning the imagination on and creating family time that's really rich uh i have to say that you've succeeded at least with beanstalk jack because i listened to it i listened to it and it's you know so much 
children's music, I guess in quotes, is is painful as an adult to listen to. And it's like it's either saccharinely sweet or it's it's just it's just dumb. You know, there's no intelligence to it, and it's just like, oh my god, turn this off. You know, um, but I, I you listen through Beanstalk Jack, and it's after a few songs, you kind of forget that it's supposed to be quote unquote children's music. You know, there are. Every, I don't want to say every song is a different style, but it, the, the, it's, it runs a, a range. Definitely. And, it, you know, like, I'm listening to it, and after a while, I was like, oh, this is good. Like, I'm grooving to the song, and I was like, wait a minute, this is supposed to be for my kids, you know? <laughs> but it, it's, so, like, I think you've succeeded in making something um, that is cross-generational, I guess, you know, that has that appeal for the whole family, which is not an easy task, I have to imagine. Thank you so much for saying that. I mean, that was definitely our goal. And I think that, you know, uh, our motto is we want to make things that make kids feel like adults and make adults feel like kids. Yeah. Because I think so so much of of children's content tends to underestimate their intelligence and, in my opinion, their sophistication. I think that the things that my daughter says to me at the kitchen table just blow my mind. I mean, she is so smart. And sees everything, understands the world, and she can handle interesting, rich concepts, yeah. you know, and likes to. Um, and sometimes, you know, I think it's it's what we're exposed to. And I think that if we expose our kids to, uh, you know, really good artists making music that is played well, that's a that's a good thing for them to, to kind of, I mean, I feel like the, the musicians that helped us bring this album to life are just amazing musicians. And so, um, and then, yeah. And then I think adults can get really, really serious and forget about having fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think we really need to have more fun. Like it's not fair. Like we're still kids inside, you know, like we need to, (laughs) we need to forget for a second that we have taxes, you know? So, so that is our goal is to kind of, um, here we go create that third space it's like taking that border the box of a kid and the box of an adult and erasing the seam between the two and just and just bleeding those two spaces together and and seeing what can happen and so um so that's the that's the big experiment and it's been it's been really really fun but yeah that's the that's the goal yeah i was i was particularly intrigued by the um aesop's fables told by sax yeah (laughs) because i remember going to as a kid going to puppet shows and learning fairy tales from puppet shows. Um, and now, you know, when I do my writing and stuff, there's a lot of mythology and, and a lot of fairy tales. And I would love for my kids to have something similar. And I thought that the, that what was it called? Aesop's Fable? Yeah, it's Aesop's Fable. It was very Aesop's similar. Fable. <laughs> that was so fun. It was so fun because that was for really little kids. It was a show that we made for, uh, you know, three, four and five year olds, like really little. And they're, they're at that age where they really think the sock, they know it's a person, they know it's on your hand, but part of their brain just really thinks it's alive. Like (laughs) they just do. And like the kids would, we had to like create a set that had like a little garden in front of it because they would just rush the socks and like start talking to them. You know, they were so, it was so amazing to to see that that moment where they are able to suspend their, you know, mm-hmm. their disbelief and just completely buy into this, like this thing, like it's from the laundry basket, you know? And, yeah. and that's what I love is taking just ordinary household things So we did like a workshop after the show where we provided kids with socks and various things and then kids made their own sock puppets. And then we encouraged parents to send us videos of their kids. And so after the shows, I got all these videos from kids who like literally made their own stage at home and like created their own sock puppet shows, which is, so that's really the goal is the goal is that, you know, we just, we just are kind of like a doorway and they see something that we made, but the materials that we're using are um, familiar enough that it's like, oh, I can make that. Yeah. And obviously we want our artistry to be at a high level so that the visuals are beautiful, but we don't want to, we don't want to lose sight of the fact that we're using everyday materials that are accessible to anyone. And, um, and in, in addition to the shows we make, um, I'm a teacher. I, I, I'm a, 
dance professor at Marymount Manhattan College, and I worked for Lincoln Center as a teaching artist for many years. So I have like um, a variety of lesson plans that I'm making for parents and for teachers that are companion pieces to the artwork. Um, so you know, kids can make a beanstalk climbing to the clouds, and the beanstalk's made of green beans, you know, like little dried azuki beans and the clouds are lima beans and, and, um, and the birds are blackbirds, like black beans. <laughs> and so there's, there's, and there's, you know, all kinds of things that kids can make, um, where you take, uh, it's a magic bean, not because it's magic, but because your imagination made it magic, you know? So you take everyday objects and just through how you handle them, you transform them. And I think that the more we can do that, um, you know, it, in art, we also, it, it becomes a kind of muscle for life. You know, how do you look at the world and uh, through the power of your own imagination, find solutions and, and, and creatively move forward to create something better around you. Um, and so, so the art is, is, a, is like a practice ground to spill out into the rest of life. I'm fascinated because, you know, obviously you've pursued an artistic career, an artistic life. You started as an actress as a very young age, and then you, you know, you you dance and and music, and you've surrounded yourself with with art and creativity, but your parents were both academics, you know, and I'm sure they were artistic and creative in their own right, but, you know, what they did day to day was very hard science. Um, Was there ever an expectation that you would follow that road? I mean... I have to assume that because you were in a movie at such a young age, they were on board with that and they were okay with that. So what sort of led to that that decision on their behalf that says, you know what, let's just, she could be an actress, that's okay. Well, my, I mean, my parents are really wonderful people and that they really, um, they really did appreciate their children for who they were. But I mean, I was performing for all the archeologists in, <laughs> in the digs. It was like, okay, Everyone, put down your shovels now. I have a song, and you know, and I put on like massive concerts for all the dignitaries that came to the British Institute. And my parents were so amazing. They were like, "Yes, we're all going to sit down and watch Tammy perform her rendition of the Dying Swan. It's very nice that you're here, Ambassador So and So." So, <laughs> so. You know, it, it just came out of the womb like that, yeah. and it could have been squashed, and it could have been redirected, and I just had the great privilege of having parents that supported it and forced their kind of important scientific dignitary uh, <laughs> friends to indulge me. And um, and I think that, you know, on some level, you know, I was that was a signal to me that it is valuable, and I'm so grateful that that they did that because I know that, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it isn't something that's always seen as valuable in, in, in different arenas. And, and the more time I, I, I spend being a mother, the more time I think that it really is valuable. I see that, uh, the stories that I tell my daughter have a huge impact on her and that's how we make sense of the world. That's how we connect with each other. That's how we don't feel so alone. That's how we, uh, figure out our moral compass, you know? So I think that it's a kind of a slippery, a slippery thing. And we, we tend to undervalue invisible things and we tend to undervalue, uh, labor that is, is a little bit less concrete and, you know, I don't know, to me, like mothering and art making is all part of the same sort of undervalued, invisible magic work that (laughs) that sometimes isn't that tangible, but it's this really foundational, super important liquid magic that kind of runs the whole thing. Um, And so, you know, I feel I feel very grateful that I had parents that uh, showed me the value of that. Yeah. Well, I think it's up to parents now more than ever. I don't mean to get political for a second, since this sample budget that we just saw has zero funding for the National Endowment for the Arts, which is awful. Yeah. Um, I just think that having, you know, only only valuing money and, you know, sort of immediate short-term gains is, is, is a, uh, not going to serve our children. And so... How do you value things that are a little bit more, um, you know, uh, long-term gains? And and I think that art is part of that. It, it becomes this sort of foundational muscle of exercising our imagination. And how are we going to solve all the problems in the world without imagination? It's the thing we need the most of. Is your daughter a performer too? 
Or she completely, she's totally yeah. is. My daughter is actually this weird scientist performer. I, I <laughs> she's a combination of both. She's so scientific. She won't, she won't, um, she only watches National Geographic. And it. I'm, I'm, I'm like a vegetarian, and the lion is like gonna eat the gazelle, and I'm like, I'm leaving, I can't watch this. <laughs> and she's like, Mom, you know, it's just not, it's not right. Like the lion needs to eat too, and I think you're looking at everything from the gazelle's perspective, and you need to be able to shift perspectives. <laughs> and I'm like, you're so right, and I'm still leaving. I'll be back <laughs> in five minutes. <laughs> she's like completely. Uh, she's very, very scientific in that way, but she also loves performing. And I've had, I mean, we live in New York city, which is so much fun. She's been in a bunch of shows with us. I did, um, a modern dance improvisational show with some jazz musicians at the Whitney museum for mother's day, where we had a bunch of, uh, dancers who also had children. Um, and it was completely mad. We brought our children and we improvised with them for mother's day and the kids ended up going on stage and like taking over the jazz musicians instruments, but it was completely magical. I mean, the, the jazz musicians were so good. They were able to incorporate what the kids were doing and keep it sounding really good. And so she's performed with me in a variety of different, um, performances. And then there's one project I do with a, a part of a series of um it's called commotion with uh mothers who have children mother dancers who have children so we've we've done a series of shows we perform together improvisationally every couple of years as our children age and um and as we age and um and it's this community of dancers and their children um and there's something really interesting for me about that project in that so often as a performer um especially improvisation is supposed to be spontaneous, but there's all these conventions and you, you sort of, you, you create a language that you can rely on. But when you introduce children into that, it really is improvisation. Um, but the things that, that the, the shows that we've done, we did them at dance space project and movement research and variety of different New York venues. Um, it's just very moving to see, uh, a mother trying to do a dance solo while her two-year-old is trying to climb the stairs. And then she has to run and get the kid before they fall and put the back at the bottom of the stairs so she can keep dancing. And it's this just incredible example of the multitasking you have to do as a, as a parent you know you're sort of trying to like do your thing but you're also constantly keeping an eye on on your like fragile little one so I've managed to kind of incorporate her in some shows and her first show when she was six months old is part of that series she literally just crawled forward to the audience and just like opened her arms <laughs> out wide and I just looked at her and I was like oh my goodness <laughs> what have so we done <laughs> so in there you know she was just like yes <laughs> that's amazing so she loves performing yeah so okay so clearly you're not shy about about letting your daughter perform and, and, and putting her out there um I'm curious though, because we've talked to a, a number of actors who started when they were children, and they have different perspectives on the industry, um, and whether it's something that they would recommend their own children or other children to go into. So, uh, knowing what you know, um, I'm sure Hollywood today is different from Hollywood, or you know, or, or you know, when you were younger. But knowing what you know about the industry. Would you recommend parents follow that? Like, if, if there's like, oh, my daughter or my son, they, they love to perform, and I think they well, want to be in commercials talking, or they want to be in movies. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're talking about slightly different things. I mean, yeah. I definitely didn't continue acting in Hollywood after The NeverEnding Story, and that was because uh, my parents looked at the landscape in Hollywood for child actors and felt that the cons outweighed the benefits. Sure. And that, you know... I think with the whole Harvey Weinstein thing, like we're, the lid has come off of, of Hollywood a little bit yeah. and it can be a very um, difficult place to come out of in one piece, psychologically, spiritually. I think being turned into a commodity at an age like 
10 or, you know, being rushed into being in kind of sexualized as a, as a adolescent girl, you know, doesn't give you the opportunity to kind of step into womanhood and in, in, in like on your own terms in a way that's joyful, you know, and, 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 organic with who you are different people mature at different ages you know so you don't want that imposed on you externally you want to be able to you know unfold as as feels great to you so i think for all those reasons my parents recommended that i not continue and some of the scripts that i got after the narrating story were just cuckoo bananas i was like real i mean even i i was 11 years old i was like what they want me to do what i'm not doing that you know so <laughs> so you know i i also i i knew that i had been part of an extraordinary film that was very special and i felt so grateful for that but the scripts the subsequent scripts were not as special and um i think if i had been given uh opportunity to be part of a story that felt uh, really juicy and 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 fun to be a part of. I would have loved to have continued, but that those weren't really the kinds of scripts that I was seeing. Yeah. So, so I think that the industry is one thing, and I think performing and and being part of projects where you're um, making content that feels really connected to you and meaningful is really different. And so, you know, I came to New York as a young person. Um, really eager to create my own company and generate my own projects and be in charge of the content that I was making and be in the room with other people who were inspiring and who I could learn from and, um, and, and create in a, in an ensemble fashion. So, so I think I would love my daughter to be a part of that. I think that is a hugely meaningful and transformational thing to, to, I mean, when you're performing with a group of people, there's a kind of trust that you form with that group of people that's very special. And um, for me, restores my faith in humanity. I'm like, okay, you know, we, we put on this beard and then this costume and we ran out and you said your lines on time and the music cue hit and the light cue hit and like, everything worked. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, you know, like if we can do this, like look what, look at look at what people are capable of doing as a team uh, when when we somehow can agree on how to row our boat in the same direction. So I love that my daughter's a part of that and is is participating in the sort of incredible teamwork aspect of performance. In terms of the industry, you know, now as an adult, I am looking to get back into some acting now and there are some opportunities on the horizon and I'm really excited about that because I think um, at this point I have a kind of groundedness and I've I'm a mom, I'm a professor, I'm, a, I'm creating my own work. Like it's, it's not going to be, um, the same thing in terms of like being as malleable as you were when you were 10. And I think you can, uh, you can steer your way through that with, with experience. Um, but if my daughter were to want to go into the industry, I've also been in the performing arts for so long. I think I would be able to guide her. I think my parents were like, you know, anything to do with something from the, you know, fifth century BC, they're on it. But like, <laughs> how to, how to, <laughs> yeah. you know, how to get through Hollywood wasn't their forte. Yeah. So, and I have a lot of friends in the industry. I think it's definitely possible to do it and to have a great experience. But you really need a mentor and you really need good advice. Sure. Was there so, ever... Uh, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. There are a lot of, it seems like anyway, there are a lot of actors who sort of disavow their childhood acting experiences. But from your, your Twitter handle, which is never ending, Tammy, I would guess that you, you haven't done that. So what was it that made the experience, you know, wonderful for you that it's something that you want to keep as sort of part of your story? Well, you know, I don't even feel like it's my story. I feel like what, what happened is um, I was invited to a Comic-Con, and honestly, I hadn't thought about the never-ending story in years. I, I, I'm a dancer. I'm a choreographer. I'm, I mean, now there was no cachet in that. Like, the dance world wasn't, like, into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I sort of ended up kind of by accident at a Comic-Con, and all these people came up to me, and told me what the film meant to them and what it inspired them to do and how they're sharing it with their kids. And I was really moved by that. And it just 
it didn't, I did, I really didn't know. I really didn't know that it had impacted so many people that way. And suddenly I was like, Oh my God, like I'm so lucky that I sort of fell into this experience by chance, you know, and it's really, um, kind of a missed opportunity for me not to connect with people and 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 celebrate that especially because I really believe in the themes of the film I mean I feel like I didn't go on and make films in Hollywood but I absorbed the message of a never-ending story like in my bones which is you know keep your imagination alive yeah. you know don't kill that kid in you and become apathetic and let the nothing eat up your <laughs> hope you know and just keep fighting with every fiber of your body to keep imagination and creativity going in the world around you. So the message and the spirit of that film, I think like really penetrated and, um, and, and I, and, you know, and in the same way that it did that for me, it did that for the, for other people. And so that's just something we have in common. That's just like a shared value. So I have all these friends who have this shared value that we, you know, that we, we have in common. So it was a, it's a shift for me. Like for a long time, I really didn't think about it. And then all of a sudden as an adult and as a mom and, and, and having so much distance from it and then really thinking big picture, like well, what's art for? Um, it, it, it suddenly dawned on me what a, what a special thing it was to have this, this shared thing with people. That and A Wrinkle in Time are the two stories I think of as being extremely formative for me. Um, and actually, as an adult, I tracked down a copy of the never-ending story of the book that was pr printed in the red and green ink because of the movie. Mm. I remember that copy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Once you, you know, you were saying like you didn't realize the effect that it had or the impact that it made, and then you went to a comic con, and you know, your eyes were opened, I guess, in a certain to a certain extent. Once you saw that, and these people, these fans would come up to you and, and share their stories, like this movie meant so much, your your role meant so much. Was there was there ever a part of you that was like, oh, maybe I should have made more movies, maybe I should have stayed, and and I had that opportunity, I already was in the door. Well, I think it depends on what kind of movies, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not any movie. I mean, you know, I just saw um, The Shape of Water last yeah. night. Oh, it was so beautiful. I mean, yes, you know, I, I think if I could have um, made more movies like The NeverEnding Story or like really rich movies, that would have been incredible. But I don't think that as a 10-year-old, I would have had the agency to steer my career and be like, you know what, that's not my brand. I'm not doing that. You know, get me on the phone with so-and-so. <laughs> I think that I'm right for this role. You know, there's a lot of sort of negotiating and very, very savvy um, uh, ability involved in steering one's career like that. And I think that it would have been a, a real shame for me to have done additional films that would have eroded my love of acting, that would have eroded my passion for art. And um, I'm just so grateful that I, you know, for me, it was a positive experience. And it, it was like this sort of like, sort of tiny blessing of like, it's okay to go be an artist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sort of like the universe is like, you can do this. <laughs> you you have permission. And it was like this magical thing. And I was like, okay, I have permission, you know, I'm going to do it. Like, so I, I, I'm not, I mean, I feel like, you know, um, the, 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 um, the perp, it served its purpose really well. And I think that, uh, you know, it's funny because if you're not on the screen, people are like, so she didn't do anything. Where mm. did she go? Right. You know, and, and the reality is I had the enormous privilege of being in the studio eight hours a day working with, uh, you know, dancers and actors and performing for, for, for 20 years, you get up, you have your coffee and you go to the studio and you make stuff, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, can't think of anything better. That is <laughs> so. Uh, so you know, it, it it it's funny. Like I don't view it as a uh, an like somehow like I did it and then I stopped. I just view it as I I I did a film which helped to kind of um, cement for me uh, that an artistic life and a creative life is is 
is something that is worth pursuing and is permissible to pursue. And, and now I just want to give permission to other people to do that. You know, that you don't have to close that part off of you. It is okay to, uh, um, validate that part of us that wants to be imaginative and creative. And, and also there isn't a singular way of doing that, that you get to even invent the, <laughs> you can make amazing salads. Like, I don't know, you know, like <laughs> it's not, there isn't like a singular correct path for expressing yeah. that, right? Everyone has to not only tap into their creativity, but tap into what ways they can express that creativity in, in, in the circumstances that they have. So, um, you know, that's part of the creative process too. Yeah. So Paper Canoe is what you're doing now. You talked about, we talked, we talked about Beanstalk Jack. You talked about how you wanted to sort of make animated shorts of that, which I think is an amazing idea. Um, what's next? Like what's on the horizon for you? Like, what are you looking forward to? Um, well, I think that what I would love to do is work our way towards a, a, a short, some kind of short film. Um, but we have, you know, we have a whole another album of songs on the back burner that we've already written. We just have to record it. Um, we want to turn light into a podcast and, and, that's the thing that I think could be a really beautiful short. Um, I just want to keep making, I really just want to keep making. I just never want to stop making. <laughs> That's beautiful. I wish more people would say that and embrace that and understand that it's okay. It's okay to say that and not be ashamed. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's fun. I think that um, there's something really incredible about being in your 40s. Uh, you really um, are at a time when, um, I don't know, I think that we used to look at this age as some kind of um, plateau or stagnation. And I think that... Um, we're part of a generation that's really understanding that it really is how you approach it. And you don't have to stop growing and learning. You can um, keep expanding. And, and so, you know, there's a, there's a kind of interesting thing about coming back to making children's content in one's middle age, because it's almost like a, an invitation to remember yourself yeah. that you're not done learning you know that you have to keep learning and you have to keep taking risks and you have to keep insisting on your development even as you create the conditions for children to do that yeah. I like hearing that as someone who turns 40 in a few months and just picked up a new hobby about four months ago that's great <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> um I am building my first set of foam armor for comic-con in Seattle Awesome. <laughs> I have to say that the things that people build for Comic-Con are so amazing. And that was really fun. I was like, oh my gosh, like these, the artistry here is totally incredible. And I love that those films are making people go home and make their own art and make their own interpretations and make their own costumes. And yeah, I love that. I think that's really exciting. That's what art should do. And then the kids want to do it. So, you know, then it becomes a family activity, which is really neat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're going to just keep building uh, paper canoe stories. And I think um, one of the things that that I'm I'm really excited about is uh, is creating these companion um, activities. So there'll be little I have a, a new series I'm making craftastic where I'm going to be doing a craft with a celebrity friend of mine and uh, we're going to be. <laughs> making this the uh, activity that you can do with a kid and um we'll see how we fare sometimes we like make kids do things that are really hard and oh, you yeah. try to watch adults <laughs> try to do it and they're like, terrible at it and then the kids are like come on totally you know so i think that's funny <laughs> oh that sounds amazing i want i look is that just something you're talking about or is that like oh, we're gonna start we're gonna start <gasps> shooting it yeah oh, fantastic yeah, oh awesome yeah, yeah we're, so we have i mean Honestly, we have so many projects on the burner. It's just a question of not burning any one of them. We keep yeah. <laughs> moving the books around. <laughs> so we're, we're going to be making lots of stuff. And um, and uh, right now, the, the main focus, though, is on the Beanstalk Jack animation. Yeah. And so we're, we're in the studio building uh, prototypes and characters and, and coming up with a style for that. Fantastic. Kimmy, thank you so much for taking the time thank to talk. You. This has just been My amazing. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you, guys. Nice to meet you both. Or fantastic interview once again, guys. And you know he don't hear much from these days, and they really should. Is the kid from The Sixth Sense? 
We um, really don't hear enough about him. What's his name? I'm blanking. Haley Joel. Uh, Haley Joel Osment. Have you? Have, I mean, I have no idea what he's doing. I'm just <laughs> I think, yeah, he's also walked away from Hollywood. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, so are you saying we need to get him for the show? I mean, we should do it. We should go find child actors that were huge in the one movie they were in. And then we'll make it a series. You know, that's going to ultimately lead us to getting the Corys on the show. Well, let's do it. <laughs> You know, I feel like if we got both Corys together, like that would be the realization of a dream I never knew I had. <laughs> and that's what we're about. We're dream makers. We're, we're dream makers, baby. <laughs> Getting the Corys. Um, yeah. So yeah, my it was interesting to like I I remember the the never ending story, but it was like. It was a bit before I was born. I don't know. When, when did it come out? It was, I know it was a bit. I was really young when I remember yeah, seeing 80, it. 83? 80, yeah. somewhere right there. Do you know what I watched last summer? I went... 84. <laughs> so when I go... 84? 84. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. Go ahead. That was no, the year okay. I was born. <laughs> um, I have friends who, when I go visit... Oh, these are my friends in Hagerstown, Jamie. Okay. Um. So when I go visit them, we have a tradition of watching really awful videos and we watched the music video from the theme song to the never ending story never ending story i love that oh i love that song you know i when napster was like all the rage i totally downloaded the never ending story soundtrack no you didn't oh dude i have and i am not afraid to admit i sometimes still listen to it Come on. All right, you know what? I am giving you the theme for this. You are, you are, you are putting this in the episode. Okay, <laughs> that'll be our intro music this time. <laughs> Come, don't laugh at me. You, that music not, is I, awesome. You know, Sherry's you, laughing. You do I'm you, man. You at do you. you. <laughs> that sound. You know what? I'm going to get it right now because you that is how it. good it is. I, I can't play it. I wish I could play it over for you guys right now, um, but it, it's it's that good. These are the same friends I watched Ma- um, Manos, The Hands of Fate with the first time I ever saw it. Ooh, I've never seen that. Oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those, huh? Preferably with the riff tracks laid over it. All right. Oh, my. It, it's quite amazing. And I know we're we're running long here, but uh, it's, it's really quite amazing what we remember from when we were kids for nostalgia. And we think back on it and we're like, that was the best show or movie I've ever watched in my life. And then when you get older and watch it, you're, just, you're sitting there being like, what? I Okay, so Dark again. Crystal is, Dark Crystal is another one. The, of Dark Crystal holds up, though. Dark Crystal is yeah. one of the best movies ever made. Um, no. Labyrinth one, holds up. Labyrinth holds up. One that doesn't, and I, I will admit to another one. So The Neverending Story was one that kind of failed me in that respect. Um, this was, again, going back many years here but I had very fond memories of that cartoon show The Snorks did you ever watch oh, The yeah. Snorks? yeah yeah. okay mean. so Snorks was basically the Smurfs underwater <laughs> and I I remember I loved that show and it kind of disappeared and when uh, I first moved back from China and I, I got a DVR and I was like oh my god I got a DVR I got cable I got 500 channels and like this was like a, <laughs> I went uh, like I OD'd on TV and Boomerang was showing like Snorks at like four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and I was like, "I'm totally DVRing Boomerang. I'm, I'm the Snorks." And I like I filled up my entire DVR with the Snorks. Come on, nope, not lying. And then I finally was like, "You know what? Now I got a DVR full of Snorks. I'm gonna go watch it." And I watched one episode, and I said, "Where's that delete button?" <laughs> <laughs> Can the I other big delete one, all? The, the other big one that um, so real quick when. So the new Voltron is out, and the new Voltron is excellent. Yes. And will hold up. Yes. Uh, they very briefly let each of the major voice actors and producers and a couple other people pick a, an episode of the original Voltron, and they had them up on Netflix for a couple of months. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude. So... <laughs> My children have never been quiet for that long before because they were using all of their energy holding their what the hell is going on faces. So when uh, Legendary Defender first came out, like the first season, uh, my kids really loved it, obviously, because it it's amazing. And so 
I was like, you know what? This was based on an original. Like I, this Voltron was not part of my childhood. Like I never really watched Voltron when I was a kid. I was like, let let's check out the original. And I maybe like we went to YouTube for like the first couple episodes or something. And my daughter really liked it. And so I went and I tried to buy the DVDs, like the box sets, and they're out of print now. So like I had to go to eBay. But like I bought wow. the first four box sets of of the entire series, and it's like. 20 DVDs now of the original Voltron and she started watching it all the way through and I think she got to like the second disc before her little you know seven year old attention span moved on to something else but like my kids at least really enjoyed it I did the uh, Voltron round table at Emerald City and um, when we talked to them a little bit about what was stayed and what went and Laura Montgomery who's one of the executive producers specifically said Lotor needed to be fixed because he was a pervy creep. <laughs> and if you go back and watch it, he is indeed a pervy creep. Yeah, I'm not and this has been 80s chat. Come <laughs> Jamie, not all TV shows can hold up like Full House does. I'm just saying. Oh, my God. Let's not start I'm just that. saying. In Family Matters. Oh. You know? <laughs> okay. On that note. On that note. <laughs> I love bringing the 90s into the equation. <laughs> okay. Thank you, guys. If you're still here, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> you are the type of people that we want to be leaving us reviews on iTunes. Or maybe not. Maybe you're listening in horror and being like, what is this train wreck? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but if, if not, we would love to have you leave us a review on iTunes. Also, send us a tweet. Let us know what you thought of the episode or what... Uh, old TV show that you watched when you were young doesn't matter the era th- that you have nostalgia with or maybe it doesn't hold up now let us know that we want some funny answers here we would love to see it and also you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at the GBP podcast to do that I'm Justin Connors at 140 Justin C and Sherry you are uh, at SW Sondheimer on Twitter and um, irate Corvus on Instagram Perfect. And as always, Jamie is... The Roar Bots. <laughs> Sound effects included. Roar. In- <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdads.